Welcome to iWoofs with your hosts, Dr. Ian and Kelly Dunbar, and me, Jamie Dunbar. So, what's the topic for today, Kelly? Today, that's a good question. Oh, today we are talking about training for reliability beyond the cookie. I'd just like to chime in and say, thus far, that is my favorite subtitle. Beyond I like the this cookie. Beyond the cookie. Does it have beyond to be said like in a deep space kind of? Beyond the cookie. Well, it's one of those colon titles, you know, which are very popular now in, in like you know scientific presentations. If you don't have a colon in your title, it, it means it's not worth listening to it. Nope. Beyond the cookie. Colons mean credibility. Yeah. Um, I'll just jump in here. I mean, this is this is obviously. It, we don't have the, a question this week, so you got. We have, don't. Your lips have got to flap. Oh, I've got answers. Flap. I don't need questions oh. to have answers. No. I, yeah. Um, this is such a big thing for me that it's something I'm, I'm really interested in, which is reliability of performance, whether it be for pet dogs or, or any kind of working dog. That um, one of the you know great things I, I have opportunities to do when I travel around the world, I get to meet you know really hot trainers. Hot you know, trainers. I mean the best of Ooh. the best. You know. You know. Success. And yeah, and and looking at what their dogs are really reliable at and what they aren't. And, and it's surprising. Like, let me give you a, an example, because here we're talking largely about pet dogs, but I'm sure everyone has seen a sheepdog on the telly. And, like, in England, it's actually prime-time television viewing, you know. One or the major dog. In motion New Zealand. Picture, babe. The that's, point of the yeah, conquerors like to watch sheep herding. That's right. Yes, that's true. Um, and when you, when you listen to it, you see this little black and white dog, you know, bounding around after these sheep, and, and, and the guy's going, you know, <whistles> you think, God, that is incredible. Or, or you hear it in Scotland, it's like, oh, wait for me, wait for me, come by, come by, doon, doon, doon. And you see this dog bringing in these sheep, you think, God, that's an amazingly well-trained dog. If you actually count the number of commands that are given, so let's take down, the, the shepherd will actually go, <whistles> that's six down signals, and the dog is still creeping and not lying down. So when you actually look at reliability, you find it, it, it's high in unsuspecting places and low in others. So You're saying you're unimpressed by sheepdogs. No, I think, no, 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 please don't be anti, you know, think I'm anti-sheepdog and all those mail and email. No, 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 no I love sheepdogs point I'm making, when you analyze the performance, the, the shepherd is giving a running dialogue to the, the dog, but most of the commands are ignored, and, and, and a lot of the commands have to be repeated four, five, six, or seven times before the dog does it. I always get the impression that the dogs are just kind of doing their own thing, and, we're, and the people are just babbling away in the background. Well, this is what part. Katie Cropper used to say. Yeah, She said, the dog is like on the edge of instinct. That dog is a nanosecond away from eating the sheep. Yeah, yes, we herd the sheep, but of course we do it for a reason, right? So we can then catch them and, and eat them. But, but back to pet dogs. So I like to look at reliability. Why? I will tell you. That's a good question. <laughs> that if a dog is not reliable, the owner gets frustrated and then the dog gets punished. So I like to let owners know how reliable is your dog's performance. So we do simple things like we count the number of commands or requests and the number of correct responses. We call it the command uh, response ratio. So if someone says, Rover, sit, 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 well, their reliability at sit is 33%. 
and that's when the dog's on leash in front of them. So how can they possibly get mad at a dog that's 50 yards away with his back turned, heaving after a rabbit or another dog? You see the point? So I like to show people, let's get the dog reliable here first. And I think what's happened in dog training, when you look at it over the past 25 years, um, 25 years ago, um, well, 30 years ago, we didn't have puppy classes. You would take your dog when he's six months to a year old to an obedience style class where dogs are trained for competition. Basically, repetitive exercises and trained largely on leash. And, and not a very you know, efficient, effective or friendly way to train, but the dogs were tested. Everything was geared towards testing your dog's performance as you went into competition. And as pet dog training, first puppy classes, then pet dog training evolved as a separate field, we're missing that now. We're missing that periodic or, or that regular quantification of performance. And if we generalize what's happened in dog training, well, it's certainly got more fun. There's no question about that. You interview any dog on the street and say, what do you think about mm. training? They say, well, it's a lot of fun. I go to class, have a great night out. What do you learn? Oh, oh, we learn things too. Oh. So the fun aspect has increased dramatically, but what they're learning, the reliability, has gone down the toilet. And there's no, no need for that at all. That if you're training a dog using food lures, food rewards, you can approach levels of reliability 97% reliable, which is unbelievable. That's way beyond the reliability you get in, in humans, <laughs> you know. Um, for example, a good bomb dog, he's about 97% efficient on the sit. A good Springer Spaniel hunting dog, you, know, you blow the whistle, he sits 97% of the time. Very good responses. And that's what I want to give to pet owners, that forget all the other commands, but if they say sit or down, the dog's going to do it. Just pick one command as an emergency command, and we're going to build it up to be absolutely ultra reliable and it can be done um, reward training techniques it can be done certainly without any painful or scary punishment and, and I think this topic of reliability it raises the specter of this big topic punishment which which people are having real difficulty handling well, so as many dog trainers and dog owners say things like you will never have a retrieve without doing a forced retrieve you know that they that there is going to be some time when the dog doesn't want to respond and you have to teach them in advance that they have to respond regardless of whether they want to yeah and and that's where dog owners and so, other dog trainers so people fear have to know no have to realize this is one person's opinion is it fact based no we have proved absolutely in the canine games let's take retrieve as an example um, you better have a reward trained motivated retrieve if you want to be able to compete compete in the canine games if you have a force trained retrieve he just ain't reliable enough and he cracks under the pressure of the noise and the dogs running around and the people and all because the action. Because he's stressed when he's, he's been retrieving stressed. rather he's been than stressed. having fun retrieving. Yeah, he's been I'm stressed sorry. rather I than I don't retrieving. actually know what forced, forced retrieve training is. Well, it, it, there's a number of forced retrieves. One would be like, um, I'm going to show you how to do it once. Now you're going to have to do it or else I'm going to shout at you, jerk you, give you an electric shock or what have you. Well, there's you. no teaching in a lot of the time, yeah. right? Just the, the extreme 
um, methods of force retrieve are when we use what's called negative reinforcement. So what they would do is they'd put a dumbbell in front of a dog, then they would hurt him really badly. Hold it in front of their mouth. Yeah, they? Like just, just hold it like this in front of the dog. Then they would squeeze his ear with their fingernail so or with pliers. I mean, horrible techniques. And they keep squeezing until the dog goes, oh, no, no, I don't like this. And he grabs the dumbbell. Opens his mouth. Then and immediately they... they stop hurting the dog. No, so no. negative reinforcement the is... Let's just... Negative reinforcement is we have a long-term punishment, but we remove, we negate the painful punishment when the dog does what we want. Sounds okay. kind of like torture. Without yeah. the dog knowing so, what you want in the first place. They never yeah. actually taught the dog to pick up the dumbbell. So he opens point. the mouth, obviously, because he thinks, oh, oh, am really? I going to bite this person or what? Or but scream? when he opens his mouth, you put the dumbbell in, he clamps down on the dumbbell, gives it a big bite, then you stop the, 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 the horrible stimulus. The other word of that, of course, I mean, examples of that which are quite good in training would be, say, horse whispering. You pressure the horse. Your examples of yeah. negative reinforcement. Negative reinforcement. Of, you pressure yeah. the horse by following him until eventually he can't stand it. He lowers his head, sticks out his tongue, says, I, I can't stand this. And you walk away from him. He approaches and joins up. Another word for it is torture. Okay? So this is what we mean by forced retrieve. And people say... Are you saying all negative reinforcement is torture? No, 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 no. Another example. Sorry, not another word for it. Another example of negative reinforcement, an extreme one. Like an ear pinch. Because they are going to keep electrocuting is, you is, until you sign this confession. Absolutely. Do you have a good example of one that you might use? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yes. I, with your... I, I use negative reinforcement all the time that once we teach a dog to sit and then we motivate him to sit, now we're going to negatively reinforce it. But we're going to do it without fear or pain. So I set the dog up, he's off in maybe the living room, that's all, but later apart, and then I say, Rover, sit. And he doesn't sit. So then I go, sit, 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 sit. And the dog thinks, whoa, what's this urgency? And he sits, and I say, he's a good boy. So there is some pressure involved so or nagging. It's very slight pressure, but the interesting thing is, no, you don't need nagging. You don't need pressure. I was searching for the words for what we're doing here, and it's basically calm insistence. That you get to the point when you say, sit, and now we're going to insist you do it. And there's no loud voice, there's no nasty tone, we're just going to insist that now you sit. My dad used to do this. And you know, persist when, and, is the key. You, you insist, you don't persist give up. And insist, oh, insist and persist. And persist, I you like persist that. In your yes, you persist in your <laughs> insistence. But a, another example is it, when I was, I was pretty young, my sister and I used to fight a lot in the back of the car. You know, I'd poke my sister like this and poke. And then she'd say, you know, Ian's poking me, stop it, like this. And I'd just poke her again and we'd get into... My dad would just stop the car and open a newspaper. And he would wait for us to stop fighting and to be quiet. Then he would start the car again and drive on. So that's a wonderful example of negative reinforcement. Without the being journey, nasty. Or... Not being nasty. Right. And why would a father want to be nasty to his children? So negative reinforcement is a really potent way to get reliability. But the dilemma people have when you talk negative reinforcement or positive punishment, horrible term, but let's just use the term punishment, people think he's being nasty. You don't have to be. There's nothing in, in the research that says that punishment has to be painful or even unpleasant. Punishment defined as... Punishment is defined as a stimulus which decreases the immediately preceding behavior, well, so it's less likely to occur in the future. 
That's what a punishment is. Yeah, but if is. something was pleasant, and it would be a reinforcement, and that would make it occur more frequently. Ah, so but this, this is, is where, where the no, this is where we as people now transcend all learning theory. See, all learning theory was created by computers training animals. Hundreds of thousands of experiments of computers training pigeons and rats. And how did they train them? By the consequences they gave. The consequences were quantum, either a pellet of food or an electric shock. So a unit. A unit. Same a every little time. unit of punishment, always the same. And these animals got trained and they realized punishment theory is very effective here. But then people try it and mm. it doesn't work too well. Why? Well, I got news for you. You aren't as consistent as a computer. You can't work consistently for eight hours on end. So you, you don't punish the dog once. Let's say you go and take a shower upstairs and the dog trashes his, the kitchen. In one trial, the dog says, hey, you can trash the kitchen when they're showering. I know dogs that know when the owner picks up their mobile phone, they can pull on leash because mm -hmm. the owner's not paying attention. You know, we had many dogs that when the owner leaves home, they say, hey, I can be a dog again. I can bark, I can be, I can poop, because and I can humans chew. aren't computers. Yeah, they aren't computers. So the way we transcend dog training is our feedback is analog and instructive. Okay? We use words, and the words have meaning. So it, this happened last night. We're driving home, and, and the only reason I'm driving was Kelly's car was out of gas, um, and it's still out of gas. We haven't filled up yet. I don't know how we got here to record. Anyway, I'm driving along very slowly. I noticed now that, that Kelly's taking a photo of you, and you're using this opportunity to chime in about gas things. Very appropriate to what you were saying about I'm, I'm trashing, trashing the living room while they're taking the shower. You, yes, you oh, recognize... No, she knows. When I talk, she gets on email and she's twittering away and I don't know what she's doing. It's because I'm talking. But, hey, this is my episode. You're moving you know. your arms so this much is, I can't even take a picture of yeah? you. Yeah? Oh, well, I'll go still then. Sorry, pause for photograph. No, I don't have to do that. Keep talking. Got it? Okay. So, um, yes. So last night, Kelly said, stop. Stop! Stop! Stop sign! And I nearly went through a stop sign, and she had to say it four times. And I heard all four, but I didn't respond to the fourth. That's a classic example. Until the fourth. I'm not trying to run the stop sign. I'm not trying to deliberately be disobedient. I'm not trying to dominate Kelly. I just... My brain got confused. And she said stop, and I didn't respond. So she repeated I didn't respond. The fourth time she said it, I responded. So this is what happens when we have a word, a stimulus that has meaning. It doesn't have to be painful. See, it's like if so I gave you a low-grade instructive punishment reprimand. Instru yeah, and we repeat it. We are insistent, and the dog does it. And what I show here in class is, in the middle of class, in a puppy class, you can ask a puppy to sit from the distance. Of course, he doesn't do it. So we run up to him, going, "Sit, sit, sit, sit." You keep repeating this, and by about the twelfth time you've done it, now the puppy sits after you ask him twice. By the twenty time you've done it, now the puppy sits when you say sit at a distance. And so the reward is given at a distance too. Go play. So we can prove when you repeat this, the number of times you have to repeat the command, or request let's call it, over and over, decreases. So here we have, I think, the most potent training method there is, it's not nasty, it's not painful, and the stress level is very low. I mean, I do like to get a little stress on the dog because we're trying to get an emergency sit, which could one day 
save his life. It could so, occur in a stressful environment. Yes. So. And so I, I say to the owners, um, you know, get some urgency in the tone. But I don't really want volume. Insistence, urgency. Insistence and urgency, never giving up. And so w- when we, you know, play the canine games and we have dogs trained this way, you see extreme high levels of reliability under extreme duress and distraction. And so it's an absolute fallacy to say you have to punish your dog to get reliability. Um, oh, sorry, you have to punish your dog in a painful way. No, we have absolutely proven that punishments needn't be painful. And that's where I would say, look, if punishments needn't be painful, maybe they shouldn't be painful. But if you now know as an owner that you don't need to have a painful punishment to get reliability, then if you decide to use a painful punishment, it's because you've decided not to learn existing training skills. Kind of being sadistic, you know, if you're doing something painful without needing to be. I I think the big reason, sadistic is not the word I I use, I think people are convinced that if they shout, if they smack, if they jerk, if they zap, they will get the reliability. They're convinced they get better reliability doing that, although there is no evidence at all that, that suggests, that proves that. So it seems to me the key to reliability is measurement. The key Every quantification, absolutely. And yeah. then yeah. the best way to achieve that is probably competition, where you have measurements and you're motivated to improve your measurements. Then and train- so the canine yeah. games. Yeah, and uh, well, training should be a competition. Everything needs to be quantified. Like you call a dog 10 times. How many times did you have to call him? How many times did he come? What was the average recall time? Then that's your personal best. See, the whole point right. about quantifying, it, let, it puts people so they know where they are, so now they're trying to better their, their personal best. So quantification improves quality. So we get quality through quantification. I think this is, this is all wonderful information, but it's, it's getting ahead of <laughs> our very first point. What's this but? <laughs> I think it's wonderful uh, information, <laughs> period. Yeah. However, I don't know, whatever yeah. you want to say, beyond the cookie, we haven't talked much about bribing. I mean, how do you even get to the point where oh, you, absolutely. Can get to, you can well, ask for reliability? Let, let, let's first define them. Yeah, bribing versus rewarding. Let's define them. It kind of gets into the respect thing we were talking about last week. Yes, let's define them. Allure right. is a stimulus you present before the response in order to get the response, to magically create the response. A reward comes absolutely by surprise, not promised after the response, to reinforce the response. A bribe is when you do those two at the same time. So in lure reward training, what you must do within six to 12 repetitions is take the food from your hand and put it in your pocket. I guess the problem many people may have, I mean, these are the technical definitions and, and they are obviously true, but I guess many people take that a step further and see the fact that you have to reward a dog as kind of an implied bribe, if you will, a promise. Yeah, that's that's that's. The oh, it's, it's because they haven't just thought it through. So let's think it through very quickly. We use a lure so the dog can understand what we want. If I said sit, the dog goes huh down huh. But by using a lure, I can teach the dog to sit, lie down, to stand, to roll over, to come, to heal in, in like five minutes. Okay? So by using the lure, he understands our words, but we phase it out quickly. Now we're using food rewards. We've got to phase those out. 
you can't go through the whole life with a, a treat bag attached to your belt. And anyway, when you're in bed and naked, you're probably not wearing one, so that's when the dog's not going to do what you want, because it becomes a crutch in training. So we have to phase out the food reward really quickly. And like last night in the games class, I was watching people. One lady tugged on the leash. I said, take your leash off. Another lady gave a treat. I said, put your treat bag down. You're relying on this. You don't need it. Now train your dog and use your voice and use you. We phase out a food reward and replace it with the things the dog wants to do. Like what? Tug of war, fetch a ball, go sniff another dog, life rewards. But ultimately what we do, and this to me is the holy grail of dog training, you don't need to reward the dog for doing it. Any more than when we finish here, Kelly will say, we better get to tango lessons. And I'll say, yup. I don't say, pay me, that I need 50 bucks to go. That once the activity becomes the reward, now you've accomplished training, you've trained the dog. It's the whole point. It's like raising children. You want to teach a child to want to read. You want to teach a child to want to do homework. As opposed and to they read and then every time they read a page, they get you a give cookie. them a treat. Because yeah. then as soon yeah. as you don't give them the cookie, right? Yeah, and the reason why they don't want to read do their homework is they're put in a little cupboard to do it on their own. Instead of the parents sitting there and saying, let's take a fun book and read it through. And, and have some fun here and being part of it until that becomes internalized. So until behavior That's about making training fun, right? Learning oh, fun in general. Absolutely, but it's, it's about internalizing the reinforcement. The, 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 the dog um, has to reinforce himself. It, it's like when we go skiing. We go skiing because every part of it is so thrilling. People play tennis, people jog, because it's, it's reinforced by endorphins. And you don't need any external thank you or any external reward to get the dog to do it. So that's what we're trying to create in dog training. But people are not following it through because they won't get rid of their food bag. And, and in, in some training classes, it's not even written into the, the agenda. The criterion and you know we just went through and redid all our classes and we said week one you try this but also in week one <laughs> you do it with what you squeak I'm, in your I'm chair again yeah. um, so by week one no we say now do it without food in your hand week two we say now do it without any food on your body we, we've got to do this it's untenable to teach a class where everybody has a food bag Especially as the dogs get older and become less interested in food and more interested oh, in... Food is meaningless. And then what happens to these poor people? They say, oh, you know, my kibble's not working anymore, so I changed to freeze-dried liver, and that's not working. So now we've got cheese and salami. Now we're using dried fish. And, and they think that training is lure-driven. It's not. Responses are driven by their consequences. And the consequences have to be a lot bigger than a piece of kibble. The best consequences I know to reinforce behavior are what the dog wants to do when you want it to do something else. So using the distraction as the Absolutely. reward. Absolutely. You say, come here. The dog says, I'm sniffing a dog's butt. You say, come here, buddy. No, come here. Thank you. All right, go and sniff. You're walking along the street. You see another dog. You say, sit. Oh, good boy. Go sniff. So now the distraction is no longer a distraction that works against training. It's now a reward that works for training and reinforces what we want. At that point, we don't have a discussion about reliability because the dog is as reliable as we are when, when we are really focused on a task, which means 97%. 
it teaches them you know that that training and fun are not mutually exclusive activities oh absolutely you know, what they want to do absolutely have to stop you, just because we've asked them to do something yeah if ever you have like you go to a class and they say have a play session for five minutes well you've screwed the pooch before you start <laughs> but now the dog says oh this is fun but this is training I'd rather have fun, please. So you like to integrate play into training? All training has to be absolutely integrated into every enjoyable activity that dogs have. If the dog likes yeah. playing. Walk, sit, walk, sit, walk, sit. If the dog doesn't like playing or walking, he likes lying on the couch, then every time there's advertisements on the telly, I'd say, off the couch, sit, good boy, on the couch. Whatever it is that the dog likes doing. Luckily for some people... They'll have a dog that's, say, a retrieving fool, or a tug-of-war fool, or he likes playing tag and games like that. Well, he's trained. He's absolutely trained now. That's all you need. One train, self-consuming... Train a bull. Train a bull. Oh, yeah. Train a bull. Thank you, David. Train a bull. Ah, you're trained. trained. My yeah. work is done. No, it's... Just trained to play tag. It's now that, right. you know, we you have your tool. Dog. You have what you need. Absolutely. And, 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 I, and I love this. I, I especially like the tag one. I, I remember with my, my first Malamute, Omaha, um, that I went to a radio interview, and Omaha was with me, and I got there early, because obviously you always get there early. You can't get there late, otherwise you've missed it. So I'm like 10 minutes early, unlike other people we have here. And um, I thought I'll practice in the car parking lot. And so we're heel, sit, heel, sit, like this. And he healed so beautifully, I tapped him on the head and said, tag. And he goes running off and I'm chasing him, like going, Wah! like this. And then I hear this shouting and screaming. And these people have got their heads out these office windows saying, go dog, go dog, go dog. <laughs> so now I knew I had a, a, an audience. I called my dog, gave these flourishing hand signals, Omaha, come. Omaha, sit. Omaha, heel. Heel, sit, like this. And I turned around and bowed to the audience. And then I was walking into the studio for the radio interview and someone shouts in, oi. And I look up, and they're hanging signs out the window. Ten, nine, <laughs> ten, and eight. And so the real neat thing here is the reward for the dog is he gets to run away from you, and you chase him. And, and that's how you reinforce a good recall. The dog comes to you, you say, good boy. You tap him on the head, and then you chase him. And, and, and there isn't a, you know, there's hardly any distraction out there that we can't change so that we can now use as a massive reward in training now to motivate the dog to get levels of reliability which are so huge that all you need is very, very, very occasional insistence. And we say, no, I said sit. You have to sit now. And we can help the dog out there by explaining to the dog when he has to do it. And a very simple trick is you live with your dogs, and, and I'd call mine, you know, Hugo, Dune, Claude. If I want them to do it, I say, Dune, Gorman, sit. I use Kelly's maiden name. And when I call them Dune, Gordon, or, or Claude Gorman, you know, they have to do it. And that's very simple, because they know most of the time they can ignore me. Well, I've talked far too much this week, haven't I? You have. I that's have. Okay. You're good at yeah, it. well, this was my week. Come on, this is my What's topic. Your week? Hey, it's time to go. We're over. Say goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, Bye, everybody. everybody. Goodbye, everybody. That's all for this episode of iWoofs. Thank you for listening.